I'm Damian Bulwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, San Quentin, the aging prison perched along the bay in Marin County, has long held the nation's largest death row, but not for long. Governor Gavin Newsom's administration on Monday said it will shut down that death row over the next two years and transfer all of the condemned men to other prisons around the state. At a news conference, Newsom said, I'm not going to be responsible for knowingly taking someone's life. It's the latest chapter in California's increasingly conflicted relationship with the death penalty. No one has been put to death in the past 15 years. That, after a federal judge said the state's flawed lethal injection system could cause a prolonged and excruciating execution. Then three years ago, Newsom declared a moratorium on the punishment and continues to be an outspoken opponent. Yet 694 men and women remain condemned, and the governor hasn't sought to grant them clemency, nor has he endorsed repealing the death penalty through the ballot. My guest today to talk about all of this is Chronicle reporter Kevin Fagan. He's covered the death penalty for the newspaper for more than two decades. I want to ask him about the slow dismantling of capital punishment in California, and also later about his experience witnessing several executions inside that death chamber at San Quentin. Kevin, how are you? Doing fine, Damien. Thanks for having me. Kevin, we haven't had an execution in California for a long time, but we have had a lot of news. We have had this slow move away from the death penalty. What happened Monday? What did the governor do and why? Well, the governor said he's going to uh, transform this block into more of a normal kind of a prison block and then transfer prisoners over to other spots in the prison system so that they can work and then compensate the victims, which is this bizarre byproduct of the last uh, ballot initiative we had, which was meant to speed up executions and instead uh, allows this provision. So he, as you said, he's been an opponent of the death penalty for a long time. And the, you know, the capital punishment provisions in this state have been slowly chipped away bit by bit by bit, ever since the first execution I watched, which was in 1994, which was the last gassing. Uh, it's been a sea change in, in, in attitude. Well, you mentioned, though, the ballot initiative, Kevin. I mean, even as the governor is a very outspoken opponent, and a lot of other state leaders are, the voters have consistently kept the death penalty in place. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 you know, the last two initiatives meant to pull down the uh, uh, death penalty statute, failed. Uh, it seems like most of the voters really want to keep doing executions. And it's, it's you know, it's a bizarre discussion you know, over the years that you get into with people. They say, well, what do you think of the executions in, in the state? Um, and as a guy who's witnessed, as, you know, as many as anyone in the, in the state, uh, you know, we're the only country in the world that still does this uh, in, among westernized democracies, as they say. So it's it's very American and it's a flashpoint. I mean, people hate it or they love it. But clearly the guys in charge, there's been a, a slow move nationally uh, against carrying out executions. And, you know, God knows where it's going to go, but it does look like it's going down in California. Kevin, I want to talk a little bit about the politics in a minute, but just death row itself. I mean, whenever I drive by there, you see that incredible old aging hulking prison along the waterfront there. You know, I think of, of death row. That's what I think of when I, when I drive by there every time. I mean, what's it like? What is, what's going on in that block? Why is there a special death row in California? I guess it's predicated on the, the idea that 
Anyone who goes to death row is a very bad hombre and needs a lot more security. Uh, concurrently, they get some privileges that the general population doesn't get. Uh, they get a, a single cell, so they have privacy. They get access to all the law books they want. They get uh, better lawyers in general than the other inmates have, and certainly probably better lawyers than they had in Superior Court, and their appeals go on and on and on. They do get out to get some exercise. Uh, your typical death row inmate costs about double what it costs to keep a general population inmate in. That's about 60000 bucks a year for general population, over $100,000 a year for your death row guys. And if you go in to interview a death row inmate, which I've, of course, done a few times, uh, you wind up in a, in a cage uh, with, the, with the inmate. First, you go through this blocky 1890s-looking place, uh, which is really grim. Stone, iron, not meant to be some friendly kind of kind of outfit at all. And they stick you in a cage with the inmate and say, well, you know, you're on your own. Uh, it's, it's just a, I guess grim is the watchword for the whole place. And then the death chamber itself is about as grim as they get. Uh, they built a new one a while back, but, you know, the old one is the only one that's been used. But also kind of bizarre, Kevin. I mean, these people have been condemned. And yet, even before this judge in, in 2006 ruled against executions, even before Gavin Newsom put the moratorium, they were barely executing anyone. I think 13 prisoners between the late 70s and that stay. Yeah. Yeah. We had Robert Alton Harris in the early 90s. And I, I actually misremembered the first execution I watched was 1993. And that was the second man put to death. Also, the last man put to death by gas was David Mason. He was a, a multiple murderer. Um, and years go by, just just years. It takes 20 years, to, sometimes 30 years for these appeals to finally go through and for an inmate to finally head into the death chamber. This is not an efficient process at all. It's over a million bucks per condemned man if you're going to actually put him to death. It's very expensive, very slow. Some people say it's, it's, uh, it's more punishment to leave a guy waiting in a single cell uh, for death to come his way for decade after decade. I don't know. It's uh, There's something very weird about it all. Kevin, we know the arguments against the death penalty. There have been people that have been wrongly convicted, very famously so, around the country. And there's also the question of, of simply the cost and whether it's a good idea. But on the other side, what about families? I mean, I think over over history, they've been somewhat mixed. Some Some families are for it. Some are actually angry about all the delays. Yeah. Ah, most of the families that I talked to over the years uh, for the seven executions that I watched were eager to have it happen. The twist in all that is that if you talk to them later, even years later, as I have done, there's no closure in this. That word closure is a, is a, is a canard. Um, you get to not wait for your date to come up. That's a bit of a relief. When one of your family, your loved one, your friend has been murdered, it doesn't ever go away. And watching some guy die in a death chamber doesn't erase that. Yeah, it's not, it's, it's, it's not all that it's cracked up to be. So the people who mostly oppose continuing executions are, uh, they're pretty rare on that side. There's, there was a, a, a nun or two that I talked to over the years who were advocating for the condemned men. And they become... A lot of them become different people when they're on death row. You stick a guy in a cage for 20 years, 
he, he mellows out and becomes different generally. Um, so the people that I watched died generally did not look like the, you know, the, uh, the, the, the criminal looking guys whose mugshots were in the, the arrest records. They looked like grandpas, but you know, I talked to some folks, there's, they're still, they're still waiting. The ones who are still waiting for executions are really unhappy. The ones that I've talked to unhappy that this, this, this trend is hap- is uh, happening toward the dismantling death row and getting, a, doing away with executions. There's this one guy named Brian Chalk, whose sister, Terry Winchell was murdered in out in Lodi. And I covered that killing in 1980 as a young police reporter. And all these years later, his killer, Michael Morales, was going to be executed in 2006. And about an hour before the date or the time, uh, it got canceled. And that was the last time we had anyone loaded up, ready to go in the death chamber. And Brian is still as pissed off as he was in 2006. He thinks this is a real travesty of justice to be canceling the execution of the man who murdered his sister. Kevin, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to ask my guest, Kevin Fagan, about his time at San Quentin, seeing protests and also seeing executions take place. We'll be right back on Fifth and Mission. You're listening to Fifth and Mission. You can support the newsroom that creates this podcast by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bullwood, joined by Chronicle reporter Kevin Fagan. We're talking about how the state, the Gavin Newsom administration, is moving off of San Quentin's death row, moving all of those prisoners in the next two years around the state under this provision where they're supposed to work and pay some compensation to their victims. Kevin, politically, if Gavin Newsom is doing this, if his administration is doing this, why not go further? Why not just simply commute all of these folks? And why doesn't he come out strongly in favor of a ballot measure to get rid of the death penalty, which supporters feel would push it right over the edge? Well, I haven't talked to the governor lately about this, but I imagine it it seems like you feel like he can only go so far. I mean, the polls still support executions. Uh, he's, I think he's doing what he thinks he can, pushing the lever as far as he can. But, you know, do you really want to piss off more than half the voting population by just taking a giant meat axe to the whole structure of, of uh, capital punishment? I think, yeah, I think he's doing it a brick at a time. Okay, Kevin, I want to ask you about Execution Day. Now, these were huge, huge stories. You were right in the center of it. When there would be an execution coming, there would be this incredible tension about whether it's going to happen. Now, you were appointed to to witness them. There would be protests at the prison, all of this at San Quentin, right? I mean, this was a, this was a big deal. Yeah, it really was. The first execution, when, when capital punishment was restarted in the state, uh, was in 1992. There had been a long pause between that and when it was reinstated. And boy, I, I was outside the gates on that one. And that's uh, this. Uh, Harris was a uh, a killer who was who was gassed to death in the chamber. And the um, the protests went on outside the prison gates all night because it took all night to to finally get around to getting this thing done. There were stays of execution, then overturning the stays, then another stay, then overturning, and the, the 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 screaming and the the gesticulating and the the 
anger on both sides outside the gates was, it was really, it, it really struck me. It was something. There was such heated emotion, people who were for and against the death penalty. Then in the next one with David Mason, I was inside uh, as a witness. And, you know, standing there watching a guy die is is nothing easy. Uh, and the gassing was actually, you know, had its moments. Uh, uh, you know, Mason. Wait, Kevin, I want to ask you, why do they, why are you there? Why are, why are journalists uh, invited in to, to watch? Good question. It's very important that journalists go in to watch because if there's no one impartial, which we are, uh, watching this process, how do you know what, what, what happens? I mean, you'd have only cops and, you know, victim advocates and survivors and people who are advocating for the prisoner. You'd have them in there watching, and you do, but who's impartial in there? So you need to have us in there watching how the process goes to see, all right, does the guy look like he's suffering? And it's always a man. Uh, I mean, we haven't executed a woman in forever. Um, we should say, though, Kevin, there is there are women on yes. death row, but they are not at San Quentin. They're down in Chowchilla, right? Right. A couple of dozen, as opposed to, you know, nearly 700 in San Quentin. It just is it's just a real split. So you get walked in and and, you know, made to stay at a certain place and not move in that execution chamber. And this is the only execution chamber we've used. There was a new one built, but it got dismantled by Newsom before it could get used. So you want to see, is the guy suffering? Is he screaming? Are they beating him up before they, they strap him down or beating him up before they put him in the chair? It's, it, it needs to be done as a society. If you're going to put people to death in society, sure, you got your debate, yay and nay on that. But if it's going to happen, you have to have someone watch this thing and not, watch it while they're crying and dissolving in anguish and, you know, no, watch it with impartial eyes and then go out and do a, a measured report on what you see. So you're in there taking notes and the, there are family members in there. Are there family members on both sides? Who's in there? Yeah. Family members on both sides, usually a prosecutor, usually a cop who put the guy away, prosecutor put him away, defense attorney, uh, often, uh, and in family members, not often do you get family members of the condemned man. It's pretty, pretty rare. The most vocal proponents of the, uh, or advocates of a condemned man I saw were at Tukey Williams. He had a couple of his friends who raised their fists in the air and said the, the state is executing an innocent man and, and made a scene. And well, at least a scene for that particular situation, because they don't let you speak. They don't let you move. Supposedly, if you if you make any kind of ruckus, they throw you out. They didn't throw those folks out because they did it right at the end of the execution. But the biggest part of the crowd, aside from us 15 or so media witnesses, is the, the, the victim survivors. And I'll tell you, the one that had the biggest crowd was uh, William Bonin, the freeway killer in 1996. He was the first injection uh, execution after Mason got gassed. And I tell you, it felt like that room was full because he left dozens of, of uh, uh, you know, victims, murder victims all around the freeways in L.A. And these families, these moms, these sisters, these relatives were holding pictures of the, the dead boy because they were all boys who were killed, raped and killed in a van and thrown out on the freeway, holding these pictures to their chest, some crying, some looking furious. It was like you had the room full of ghosts. There was such emotion in the air. And when he died, um, it kind of dissipated and we all walked out. And I'll tell you, I talked to some people later. And again, 
There was no closure. They were glad that they didn't have to wait around for this guy to die anymore, but there was no closure in something like that. He still, the people he killed were still dead. They were never coming back. Kevin, you mentioned suffering. It's something that you're wanting to see. That's something that the people that are against the death penalty are looking for and arguing against. Did you see suffering in that chamber? Uh, I don't know if you'd actually call it suffering. I mean, my eyewitness accounts were used in, uh, you know, just they pulled them from the newspaper and used them in court cases, arguing for and against uh, maintaining the death penalty. What I'd see was was like what happened with Tukey Williams. Uh, they had to hunt for a vein uh, and, you know, putting it in one arm, pulling it out, putting it in, trying to find a vein, pulling it out. And at one point he got kind of pissed off. He looked up and said, do you guys know what you're doing? And finally they found a vein. Is that suffering? I don't know. That's for lawyers to decide. You know, I never saw anyone beat anyone up or, uh, you know, abuse them in some overt, obviously overt way. Uh, but I did see that where they were hunting for veins. And then with injection, uh, you don't really, no one is convulsing and twisting. I know that ha- that has happened in other states, but not in California. Some kind of cinematic moment where a guy, you know, jerks, tries to jerk upright in pain. No, it looks like you lay down on the gurney, you close your eyes and you go to sleep. Now with gassing, that was different. Uh, David Mason convulsed and bucked, and drooled and heaved and turned red and, and clenched his muscles for Geez, more than 10, 12, 14 minutes. Uh, it went on and on until finally he was done. Because what they do is they, they dump these, I think, cyanide pellets under the chair and you're strapped to the chair and you just suck in this poison gas until your body gives out. The theory was that, uh, and it was a theory that uh, uh, some medical folks had put out and some people disputed, was that he conked out pretty soon after the pellets dropped and his body was just, doing convulsings on, on its own. Uh, I don't know. I know what I saw. Uh, it didn't look like it felt good. It looked, it looked pretty bad. Kevin, I don't know if you mind me asking, but does this affect you personally? I mean, to, to watch these things, how do you cope with it? It's, it, it's fine to ask. Uh, I, I have to say it doesn't, it doesn't anguish me. I mean, I've watched people burn to death. I've been shot at. I've been stabbed. That worry, that that affects me. Uh, watching someone in a very controlled, almost sanitized situation slowly go to sleep, and uh, the, the gassing was 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 you know has I don't know how to describe it. The gassing was worse, but it didn't it didn't bother me. I, I was there to do a job and I was able to compartmentalize that in my head. That was fine. More violent ways of dying. That's, you know, like, you know, I've been to murder scenes where people have been shot to death. Now looking at the carnage that happens in a really bad murder, that's disturbing. Uh, this is so controlled. It's, it's a little easier to compartmentalize in your head and keep it straight. Kevin, thanks so much. Sure. Thank you. Thanks to my guest today, he's Chronicle reporter Kevin Fagan, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening.